This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Jordan Bookie graduated from the Wharton School in 2007. She was my student back in the day, and was recently named one of Wharton's 40 Under 40. After leading Google's K-12 education outreach, she and her husband decided to start their own business. It's called Zoobean. It's a service that helps families discover books and apps that cater specifically to a child's and a family's interests. Jordan pitched Zoobean on ABC's Shark Tank and won a quarter of a million dollars from Mark Cuban. In this episode, Jordan and I talk about her journey from education into business and her experiences in founding and running a company with her husband and how they manage boundaries and keep their family and themselves healthy and vibrant and how all that figures into the success of their business is is a big part of what we talk about. So now listen and learn about what it takes to succeed in a family business with your spouse from Zubeam's chief mom, Jordan Bookie. Jordan, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. It's great to have you here in the studio and... Uh, all right, so you're back, and you were just named uh, one of Wharton's 40 Under 40. You're still quite young and already have had, I'd say, an unusual career for a Wharton grad. Now, as I have it, even back in college, you were interested in kids and, and education, and this was your passion after college. You taught for a couple of years. but So before we get into Zubin, your family business, let's talk about like why did you come to Wharton in the first place? <laughs> Uh, when I came here, a lot of my friends and colleagues asked me the same question. <laughs> so um, so I didn't plan to go to business school. I think you speak to some kids. I, you know, I have kids, college students. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've mentored students over the years who say to me, well, I'm planning on going to business school. They sort of know that already, and they had their life's plan. I did not have that life's plan. Mm-hmm. So I went to teach, and I was very committed to education. I was then, after that, working in a literacy-focused nonprofit and and also in Washington, D.C., and was passionate about that. And I love theater. So I had applied actually to this program for arts management at Columbia University in uh, in New York. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go, and I was speaking to one of my mentors, who's also a grad of Wharton, and he was the founder, co-founder of the school where I had taught in Washington. And he had been sort of a, a mentor, a friend to me, And when I told him where I was going, he said, well, but have you thought about business school? Because you're sort of pigeonholing yourself a bit into this one area. Are are you positive this is what you want to do? I said, I think I do. I'm not 100% sure all this. And he said, well, why don't you just go look? I said, no, no, no. 
business school is the dark side. You know, I, I can't do that. The and dark I, side. <laughs> exactly. The evil so, empire. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I came. He said, you know, just go look at some schools. So I went. Mm-hmm. I looked at a few different schools. I met with other people who were really like-minded. I found people who themselves had also come from an education background. And mm-hmm. now I see that there's a ton of social impact work here and at uh, many other schools. But at Wharton, mm-hmm. I've really seen it explode. It really has At exploded. the time, it was kind of like on the cusp, you know? When was that? When were you here? Um, I graduated 2007. So a lot of those things we we were active but it was like the years after us where it really Mm -hmm. blossomed and at the time though when I came I found people who were looking to change the world and you know do business and also do good and you know impact the world in other ways and it was really inspiring to me so I applied to many schools but Wharton was just the the one for me so I came here my path wasn't this way but I had a series of different you know sort of uh, interventions you could say that led me here here well you were exploring what was of interest to you and getting input from people around you who helped you to see alternative paths that you could pursue in in advance of that vision or that idea that 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 was a spark inside of you that's exactly right I think I had an idea of what I wanted to contribute to the world and Mm -hmm. I thought there was just sort of one path to that and through education exactly and sort of staying on that particular path Mm -hmm. but coming here uh, to Wharton really uh, gave me a a multitude of different ways, you know, that my career eventually followed, you know, to, to be able to have that type of contribution. So you went from here to Google. Exactly. In yes. 2007. That's right. And so what happened there and, and how did you end up, you know, coming back to the world of, of uh, children and education? Yeah. I've had a lot of great um, things happen by um, happenstance, I think, for in my career. But the truth is, when I was at I was at Wharton, I was completely committed. Even though I was here, I was thinking, well, me being here, that will be my, in quotes, private sector experience. I came to business school. Now I'm going back public sector. So I never even put my resume in the resume book. I mean, I was very committed. I had lined up jobs with a series of charter schools I had intended. So the resume to... book, just for listeners. Oh, sorry. Uh, that's that's <laughs> describe what that is. See, I'm looking at a professor thinking right. everybody I knows. I understand what a right. resume book um, is. This but... is the book that students, uh, all who are at the at Wharton, are able to put their resumes into mm-hmm. one big book that recruiters can look through and right. sort of call you up if they're if they're interested. Right. So you you absented yourself from that's that process. That's right. I said I don't need this. And once again, I had a series of mentors who said, do you think this is really a good idea? At least put your resume in the resume book. That's a very, you know, that's a simple thing to do. You never know. And I said, well, okay. And I did. And, and ah. uh, a recruiter wrote me a one-line email that said, are you interested in coming to Google for the summer? And I wrote all my friends immediately, like, did you get the same email as I did? Uh, they said, no, <laughs> this is not a spam. You know, this is a real. Mm-hmm. So I wrote him back. I said, sure, you know, it's great. And I ended up having a, a series of interviews, and I that year was the only intern in people operations, which is Googleese for HR. No, we've had some know. folks from people operations on the show. Exactly. And so um, that was before sort of the larger scale MBA program that they had. And I was, I was the lone MBA, the lone intern in people operations that summer. So I was able to really see the organization. It was Google, I think, at the time had maybe 5,000 employees that mm-hmm. summer. So it was quite small. And was there seeing a lot of the growth that was happening. It was really exciting. And I, I saw that there was some work happening that could like align with my values, uh, albeit private sector. And I also felt like this was a company culture that I could 
be in and mm. thrive in and be happy. And I really enjoyed that time and felt like I was sort of addressing all these different needs that I had and, uh, you know, eventually ended up there. So how did this lead to Zubing? <laughs> well, so when I started at Google, I, I actually was... Um, was not in uh, education. I started. I started with a project that was very operational in nature, mm-hmm. and I wasn't happy. I don't often share this part of my Google experience, but I wasn't. Ha- I really okay. was not it's aligned just with us my talking, <laughs> right? And a couple people <laughs> listening. Uh, so I wasn't happy. I I didn't like the particular projects I was on. And I my I would speak to my manager, and she'd say, "Well, but why not? This is you know this is what I'm telling you to do." And I'd say, "Well." You know, I really am passionate about education. I'm very passionate about doing good in the world. And I don't want to build a database for whatever it was. And she's like, well, but this is the job. And, you know, you came on here without really knowing what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And we go back and forth. And eventually I found diversity programs. And this was personally very important to me. I'm married. To, I'm white and I'm married to an African-American man. Mm-hmm. And I feel very passionate about the the intercultural interfaith life that we have built together and we were building at that time and i thought now this is something i can really build i see a need for it, it was the personally company. meaningful to you and it was going to meet a exactly. demand inside the company and beyond. exactly i mean if you follow google and what they've been releasing around their data i mean this has been years in the making sure. of mm-hmm. you know really trying to um, make it transparent what's happening so i i carved i uh, Became, took on that role uh, in diversity, and then eventually, when it came time to build out a business plan for diversity, I um, I worked with my with my director at the time, and we carved in a little piece of that business plan for the you know uh, executive council that approves it and all this. And I said, let's build in a piece around K twelve because clearly, if we're focusing on recruiting a long term pipeline, you're not going to start in college; it's too late, and and we built in this component, and they said, well, why don't you lead that component? I said, okay, and then I got pregnant, and I, I was on maternity leave very soon after that. And when I came back, they said, well, actually, we decided to make that a whole separate team now. You can lead that team. We've built it out. We've kind of been waiting for you to come back, and here you go. And it was ruled wow. out as a separate initiative. So hmm. that's what led me to be able to really focus on expanding access to technology and computer science and being able to actually do outreach work and work about which I'm completely passionate um, in the context of Google, which was a wonderful experience for me. Um, so, so that's to Google. So to Zubin. <laughs> um, so that's important context because there you got the experience, right. uh, again, following your passion, the thing that you were really interested in, putting that out there as something that might be of value to the business right. and getting support for it because uh, it was something that was going to meet a need but really grew out of something that was very important to you. I think that's the point I want to underscore here and and why I've invited you on the show, because you've been able to pursue a passion and build a business around it. So tell us more about um, how you started Zubin and and what you've been doing. What is Zubin? (laughs) So as you said, Zubin is a it is a, a service that helps families find books and apps that their kids will love, that will work for their individual children. And we in particular right now are working with libraries, public libraries, with our service called Beanstack. And we, in essence... Not Beanstalk. Not Beanstalk. Beanstack. <laughs> no L. No L. And, <laughs> okay. And, uh, and what we are doing is making working with public libraries, working with their expert librarians hmm. to recommend books that are... Or have books that are recommended by your librarian at your... Um, at your 
system, wherever you might be, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that are sent to you along with learning tips and um, and books that are personalized. So no two kids will have the exact same set of recommendations. You build a profile with mm-hmm. age and reading level and interests that really work for your child. And we're helping public libraries really market themselves and their staff experts, and then also helping to expand their early literacy and early childhood development efforts. So do you work with the parents to get those interests and you know what the kids are wanting to read, what their... Uh, you know their their passions are for the stories that they want to hear, or is that something that you get from the the schools or both? So we focus mostly on zero, ages zero to eight, although we have been expanding with some of our library partners up to age twelve. Um, but generally, we focus on zero to eight, which means that we are um, emphasizing parent engagement. So it's really a family engagement tool for libraries. And what parents do are they would come, you would come onto this. The libraries, if I could just jump in here, must be very uh, interested in that because that's part of what is a challenge, I'm sure, for many librarians is how do you connect with the kids' larger life beyond their being forced to attend library? (laughs) Exactly. And I think, um, you know, there are some families who go into the library frequently. They're there for story time. They're, Mm -hmm. They're the sort of heavy users, you know. But then you have many other families, or what they might call a non-patron, um, who don't even know all the amazing, wonderful things available to them at the library. And what we try to do is connect those dots for families. So a parent would go on and say, if my, my child is Cassius, I go and tell you a little bit about his reading level, his age, some of his interests, favorite genres, and um, and sort of build that profile. You can always edit it. But then that way, the recommendations that are coming from those librarians are personalized to, to his um, sort of specific needs. So um, when did you start and, and how do you account for your success so far? So we started, it was a, a little bit of a slow roll. I was uh, at the time pregnant or expect, you know, expecting with my second. And we were personally experiencing the problem of finding for our own family of finding books that uh, that sort of look like our family in the context of speaking to our child about having a little sister. So many times I like to, you know, they say picture books are like windows to the world and also should be like a mirror, a reflection of yourself. You should be able to do both. And we had no problem finding, you know, windows into the broader world. But when it came to finding a mirror uh, for our family, you know, interracial family, uh, we just couldn't find that book that would really resonate with us. And, you know, fast forward many months months later, mm-hmm. we, we did randomly, a librarian friend actually sent us this book, not at our you know request, but it was perfect for our family. And we had that moment of, wow, this is something that could really resonate. This is our particular situation, mm-hmm. but there are so many other situations in which you really want to be able to provide that experience to families. So we had that moment and started building my husband Felix is um is a serial entrepreneur now I guess he just had a couple of other businesses and one in particular before this so he he was already of the mindset of we just have to keep coming up with ideas you know, let's come up with ideas and they might end up scrapped and so we have, we own many domain names you know all all around that are under we are always coming up on Yahoo you know mm-hmm. you have they're always coming up for renewal and reminding me of the many ideas that we had uh but this one really stuck, and I think because it resonated, to your point, uh, with us very personally. It wasn't a need that we identified in the market as much as we identified it at home and then extrapolated into the market. So it really was something that that took hold for us, and we were able to build because we were not only building for 
other families we are building for ourselves as well. And so, um, you know, you're your first user, right? So that's really how the idea was formed. But it was me- we had many months of sort of building it and not necessarily thinking that I would leave my job to go and do it. But eventually, once we had um, done some fundraising and ra- raised an initial round of capital, we it was possible for me to, mm. to leave. But we sort of kept it going for a, a long time with me working uh, full time at Google and, you know, my extra 20 whatever percent I had <laughs> left over working uh, on Zubin. So that's really how we sort of went there. It wasn't like one day we decided and bam, that was it. It was mm-hmm. a, a slow roll off for both of us from our previous jobs. And it launched when? And it launched in May 2013. Oh, yeah. All right. So still pretty young. We're very yeah, young. <laughs> you you call yourself Chief Mom. I and, do. and Felix is Chief Dad. Yes. <laughs> Those are interesting titles uh, for a business. Uh, how did that's you know a lovely way I suppose to integrate the different domains of your life. What what do those titles really mean? Though? What do they signify to the to the people who work with you, to your you know, your clients, your customers, other stakeholders? You know, it's funny because initially. When we were thinking about what we would call ourselves, because we were co-founders and husband and wife, and we thought, well, I mean, so you're going to be the CEO, but then am I going to? We're, we're both doing everything at the beginning, right? And right. we just didn't want to delineate in that way to start. You mean and hierarchically? Now, right. And now we have, and it's fine. You know, we we worked through much of that, but at the time, that was sort of the idea of having something that was more playful that we referred to ourselves as. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, within, you know, a few weeks, I had so many friends, you wouldn't believe it, who said to me, oh, that's I love that. I love it so much because it's really showing that, you know, this is a part of your life that you put forth first. You're really integrating these pieces Mm -hmm. together. And I I love what that says about your company and your mission. And what does it say? I think it says that this is this is who I am that I'm bringing, you know, my full self to this job. And that means sometimes, you know, I I'll I I am obviously professional in all situations but oh, of course. there are time <laughs> there are times when you know i really really am chief mom and i really do have to leave on friday because they suddenly don't have school or my daughter was called home and it's like accepting that and saying you know there there are many many difficult things there are many challenges to being an entrepreneur to having a family business i mean you name it but one of those is not, uh, you know, having to forego your family all the time because you do get to decide. Um, and, and I think that we're putting that out front and saying this is what this is what matters first. And this is really the core of our business and that this is for us as much as it is for our customers. Have you got any pushback? Like, hey, if you're a mom, how are you going <laughs> to deliver these products on time? Uh, we've definitely received no, not that. I think I think the Wharton helps has helped with that. Really, to be honest, I In think that, um, I, people perceive Wharton to be so. Um, oh, your you know, analytical exactly helps to counteract mm, that sort of effect. exactly exactly. Um, but. In general, you'll hear this from, I think, many, um, there aren't so many, but from uh, couples that are entrepreneurs together, yeah. don't go in and pitch together. You know, Don't try to raise money together. Don't be in the room. Right. Don't remind people that this is the situation that like you're married and this is because it'll be perceived as a distraction, a distraction. What if they fight? What if they Mm -hmm. get divorced? Mm -hmm. What if what if what if, you know, and this is going to it's too complicated. Don't remind people that you're married. 
you know, don't remind them mm-hmm. sort of of this part of your life. So because it would be another layer of complexity that might get in the way of your business. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. did you heed that advice or <laughs> um, not? We've heeded that advice in some ways. In some ways, because that was that's what people you know suggested to us. Although it's funny because sometimes, I'll, oftentimes, Felix is you know does the, the lion's share, if if not all of the fundraising, but. Sometimes when I and you know meet uh, some of the other investors, they're like, "Oh, you know, she, sh- we should have been able to meet Jordan earlier on," you know. Mm-hmm. And it's you know you you sort of never know what ne- it's because it's not it's not a blanket statement that'll work overall. But I think we wanted to play it safe, so yeah, we did that. And also because there's just limited amount of time in the day in our you know level of what you can both take on, you right. have to start dividing. So um, so a little bit of both. So what's the biggest challenge that you find in in working with your spouse? <laughs> Um, I'd say the, the biggest challenge of working together is just, is carving out the space, um, you know, to your, to use your framework, <laughs> um, probably carving out space for self because so much is together. So your work is together. Your family is together. Uh, I forget the fourth tenant. Well, Sorry. there's no community, <laughs> community society. and community. And that I think that is probably the hardest thing for us to besides, you know, the actual work we're doing is the hardest piece. Because, well, that's it. Yeah. But it's that it's the self. I think that mm-hmm. you have to really make that space to find time for you and to nurture that part of yourself. It can be very difficult because suddenly many and every different part of your life is intertwined. So you don't really have that space like your workspace for many people is just that's also separate from from family right those are very separate but for us work and family are sort of like circles on top of each other of course so what have you found has worked for you in in finding time that precious time to restore and rejuvenate and tap into the things that uh give you uh you know sustenance yeah well you know first is that you know in terms of how we manage the challenge we don't we haven't we haven't separate office space that's not in our home. Okay. Uh, we have we separate. How does do, that help you personally? Yeah. So me personally. Um, well, what we've done initially it was complete. There was I couldn't. If you'd asked me this a year ago, I would have said I don't know. You shouldn't have me on this radio show. Uh, but now we have found ways um, implementing like you call them. I think experiments. So we've started implementing things like working out. So that's really important to me to be able to do yoga, to work out. So Uh we aim for, you know, four or five days a week. And my husband wakes up, we both wake up at ungodly hours, I'm doing work, and he's at the gym, he comes home, drop the kids off. Then at night, when he's helping with doing the bed, you know, bedtime routine, Mm -hmm. I go to the gym or go to yoga. And so we, it, it does, you know, it helps to be able to have those, those separate spaces. We've also just started saying, you know, it's fine, you can go you know, be with your friends this night or to make sure that we have, you know, date nights and just to have times that are separate and especially date nights that aren't necessarily always just with the two of us, you know, sure. but with other people in the community and other people that we're able to really connect with because we do spend so much time together. So it's nice to be able to, we have to really force those things because otherwise, you know, we, we honestly, there's no end to the work. We could probably just be home on Saturday, every Saturday night, you know, working and doing laundry and other really, you know, Unexciting, exciting, <laughs> wonderful aspects of the entrepreneurial life. <laughs> right. Well, so so let's stay on the subject of the boundaries because I think that's such a crucial issue, especially in a family business, especially with a couple. Yeah. Um, so you find that you can you can maintain those boundaries by making commitments to being very explicit about 
you know, the needs that you've got separately and together as a couple and together as a company? I mean, what's the key to making that happen? What advice would you give listeners about how to make that happen, people who are in a similar situation perhaps? Yeah, you know, I think one piece is just being really honest with yourself and not trying to accommodate what you think the other person really wants. That gets very muddled See, in a husband-wife relationship or husband-husband-wife, partner-partnership relationship, mm-hmm. you you have to think oftentimes about what is this person, what do they really want, and am I, are they, by saying this, do they really want that? And, you know, you can have a very honest, open conversation, but in a work relationship, you, you need to be, ex, you know, ex, extremely, you know, direct, and, and it's, it's, it's a different relationship, right? And you can't take things personally if somebody doesn't like something you've done mm-hmm. doesn't agree with it it's nothing personal it's hard to separate those and to and to get that to just to remove those two things from each other so for example um you know i was working you know early in the morning to late at night i was staying up till probably you know two in the morning every night and part of the reason was there there is an you know limitless amount of work to do and part of the reason was I was thinking, I think this is probably also what Felix wants. Where he's, you know, we're both so dedicated to the business, but we have we have so there's so much to do, and I think he'll maybe, you know, are we going to? Sounds like you were making assumptions about what his exactly. real needs and expectations were. Exactly, and I also wasn't thinking about what my needs and expectations were. For me, it was so important. One of my, you know, most important pieces, and the reason why I also wanted to start this business was to be able to be able to spend more time with my kids when and had that flexibility, right? And so we talked about it and said, you know what, it actually is important for me to have those few hours a day. That's very important. I get scared about, you know, later in life thinking back going, oh God, I I missed that chance, you know? And Mm -hmm. so we had to say, well, that's fine. How are we going to manage that? What's that going to look like for us? And it's just so important to have those conversations and to express when you're unhappy with something in your personal space and separate that out from what's happening work-wise. When it's happening with work, just keep it work. When it's happening personal, try to keep them separate and not like one is always going to impact the other. It's it's very hard so do to you, do. Do you have like ways of doing that that you've <laughs> developed that you signal like you hold up a red card and say, no. okay, this is work, a green card, this is home? When we're, I mean, how do you make that distinction? Um, we usually will say if it's personal and it's and it's a, some type of conflict or something you want to talk about, we'll, we wait for what we call a neutral space. Ah. And so that means that- You have a term for that. Yeah, we have a term, neutral space. <laughs> it's our neutral space. And we'll always, usually it'll start with, well, since we're in a neutral space, I would like to revisit XYZ that happened uh-huh. earlier today, or I want to revisit this conversation we had or whatever. And those ten, those are pretty much always personal. Mm-hmm. When it's work, we have conversations in the moment because it's just, it's work. And, it, and it, you shouldn't let it be so, you know, um, you know, impact you on a personal level. So... It does. I mean, it does. But but we we do try to because we're, it's not just the two of us. We have other members of the team, and you know we want to be able to operate, you know, in a way that doesn't you know stop other people or you know. Um, but when it comes to personal and having those conversations, it can be hard conversations. That's what we do. We've also you know we make time for things that matter to us personally. You know, when we're thinking about um, you know anything from 
you know, raising our kids to whatever, whatever those topics are, we make sure that we have those separately. Last question. We've only got 30 seconds here. Uh, How would you um, like to describe what it is that you see in the future for, for Zubin and for the chief mom and dad of Zubin? I would love to see us serving, uh, you know, many millions of families uh, across the United States and to be able to work with every single library system and ultimately even internationally. We think we have a great platform that can really engage families, uh, for especially for those, those uh, early childhood uh, families who have younger kids. Fantastic. Uh, I've been speaking with Zubin co-founder Jordan Lloyd Bookie. Jordan, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jordan Bookie of Zubin, the chief mom of Zubin, and that it stimulated some new ideas for you, especially about how to manage the boundaries between your personal life and your life at work. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation. This is for those of you who have someone who you think of as your life partner. And if you don't, well, then, you're and you're thinking that you might at some point have a life partner in your life, well, then it's relevant for you, too, to think about. But the idea for action, the challenge is for those of you currently engaged in such a relationship. How about having a conversation with your partner about how indeed you manage the opportunities that you give each other to have your own personal space and time. So maybe you start doing something, maybe it's a new hobby or an exercise class or something that's only for you and your partner does the same. You might feel differently about yourself, about the relationship, and about how having this time might have a positive impact on your experience of your work. You might be more relaxed. You might perform better. You might feel better in all the different parts of your life. Think about how doing so, taking time for yourself, might actually improve, paradoxically, the quality of your relationship. What might you discover from such an experiment? I would love to know. So contact me. Write to me, friedman at wharton.upenn.edu, or tweet at me, at Stu Friedman, on Twitter. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership. Be a better leader, have a richer life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. 
For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.